Uh, we're in our second week of the series Eating with Jesus. This has been probably so far one of my favorite series so far that we're doing um, for a couple of reasons. One of them because we're talking about Jesus, and that's pretty obvious, and I don't want that to sound too hokey, but uh, learning and teaching and helping you guys learn about Jesus is, is fun and exciting, and hopefully you're catching on to something. Um, the other reason, honestly, is this whole series and our last week, uh, which is in a couple of weeks, which ends in a barbecue, uh, it revolves around food, and I, I like food, in case you didn't know that either. Um, this past weekend, like I said, we went down to London, and uh, we, we took advantage of all the food options that London has. Well, not all the food options, really just two options. Uh, five Guys, burgers and fries, which if, yeah, I'll take a thumbs up. It was delicious. I, I got my hamburger which I totally forgot that they do the double patties, and so that was a pleasant surprise. Um, and then Aiden got his, and he couldn't eat it all, so I gladly took his. And then Nadia got a burger, and she couldn't finish it, so I gladly took it. Um, and then they filled up our, our takeout bag with fries, which is a thing that they do, and so I ate up all those as well. And, and then at night, that was like at 3 o'clock, and then at night for dinner, we stayed in the hotel, and so we got a couple pizzas and wings, and, and Aiden didn't eat all his, and so I ate all that too. And uh, between all of that, there's a Starbucks down the road, and so we took advantage. It was kind of like a mini one-night vacation, which was a lot of fun, which revolved around just not only my grandmother, but food as well. Uh, it, it, was a, it was fun. It was a good time. I like food, and so I like the series because we're talking about food. We're talking about the, the, the interactions that Jesus had with people around food. Whenever our family gets together, we eat. Any other families like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, would you, this is completely off script. Any of you want to share with us maybe like the, the family secret, not the secret recipe, but like the, the family favorite dish that your family, one of your family members does, like maybe an aunt or grandmother or an uncle or somebody? Nana with the scalloped potatoes. Best in the world. Okay. Alan? Oh, that sounds delicious. Uh, Olivia. Pate? Oh. <laughs> Pate salad? Potato salad? Uh, Tanner. Turkey and stuffing. Only like at Christmas time or Thanksgiving or like summertime? Deep fried turkey? Anyone like deep fried turkey? Anyone have deep fried turkey? So good. Matt. Roast chicken? Every other night, because <laughs> you raise and kill your own? Is that, yep, cool, awesome. Mexican food? Your friend, yeah? Has to be here, nobody else, not Taco Bell? No, no. <laughs> That's not Mexican, That's, it's delicious. You're just sucking up right now. Your mom's Jimmy Carter cake. What is Jimmy Carter cake? It's delicious. That's all you need to know. What is it? Oh, okay. So the barbecue, I'm, I'm immediately making the barbecue also a potluck. And so you need to bring that. Um, as much of us, food and, food and family goes hand in hand. In our culture, it's a big part of how people interact with each other. It's a big part of how people hang out together how they interact, and when people come together, there's usually food. And we've just, we've heard that. Jesus thought food was important too. And there's a lot of stories in the gospel that involve Jesus and food. 
Last week, anybody remember what we talked about last week? Which, which meal did we talk about? Breakfast. We talked about Jesus, how he made breakfast for his, his disciples on the beach. And we learned really, the bottom line was this, we learned how Jesus cared for his disciples, how he cares for us, and how we should also care for others. Tonight we're going to read and talk about Jesus eating with some pretty sketchy people. You can follow along in your pamphlets. You can follow along on the screen as well. Feel free to make your notes. Feel free to doodle. Feel free to keep those and, or pass them around or whatever. All right, Matthew 9, 9. Follow along with me. We read this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. We're reading here that Jesus was interacting with a man named Matthew. Other Gospels uh, name him Levi. Matthew and Levi was the same name. Uh, basically, he was a tax, well, we read he was a tax collector. Being a tax collector in this culture, in this time, is very different than uh, working for, say, our modern-day Canada Day, or Canada uh, Revenue Agency. Our taxes are pretty easy when it, co- when it really comes down to it. Uh, we hand in receipts. They tell us what we owe them or maybe what we're getting back, depending on what happens. Um, taxes are not fun. Nadia and I did them. Uh, I did them for the first time as a, uh, with somebody else, and it was, I, I hated it, bottom line. It was terrible, so boring. Ugh. Um, they're not fun, but they're easy because we have formulas. You punch in a number into a slot, and the formula works itself out, and away we go. In the time and culture that Jesus is in, the ruler would tell the tax collectors what they needed to collect. And then the tax collectors um, would keep anything over and above what, what they collected. And so uh, if I was a ruler and I looked at uh, Jake and Isaac and they were my tax collectors, I would look at them and say, I need you to collect $2 from everybody. And then they would go around and collect $5 and then get, they would get rich off of that. Tax collectors were known as thieves and crooks. Sorry that I pointed you guys out. Thieves and crooks. They were, not, they were not liked. There wasn't a lineup to be their friend. Tax collectors were, and tax collectors were usually local to the area. They were born and bred. Um, they were born and raised. They were, it meant that they were known to people. They knew people. They had relationships with people. They went to school with, these, with, with the people that they were collecting money from. The Roman Empire did this because they thought that a local in the job of tax collector uh, would have kept people in the area more honest. Uh, I'm not going to go to Jordan, who I grew up... I, hypothetically, that I grew up with, and I'm not going to try and rob him or steal from him or collect more than I should because him and I are buddy-buddy. That was the thought the Roman Empire had. It would have been harder to deceive someone who you may have known all your life. The reality is that didn't happen. They were thought of as as traitors to their own people, and they're thought of as loyal to the Roman Empire. Rome and the government and the rulers were getting rich off of the people's taxes, it's recorded that the ruler in that area of Galilee was making about uh, $5 million a year just off the people through taxes. And so if the rulers were making that kind of money, it, it's very easy to assume that the tax collectors were making good money as well. They weren't living poor. And so because they were thought of as traitors and, and, and thieves and, and just the low life of the low, who hung out with these people? Fellow tax collectors, fellow thieves, and fellow robbers, and fellow uh, sinners, or so the religious leaders would have labeled them, and really society would have labeled them as sinners. The outcasts hung out together. And so let's read this verse again with that all in mind. Matthew 9, 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. 
So Jesus is walking by this booth on the outer edge of Capernaum that had this guy named Matthew inside of it. In this culture, in this context, what his job at this point probably was, was he was probably taxing commercial boats coming in. He was probably taxing fishermen. I was studying this morning in, in one of my books, and they taxed everything from miles that you went to trades happening between uh, cities to um, like the most ridiculous things they would tax just to get rich. And so this guy, Matthew, is more likely, uh, research shows, he's more likely taxing fishermen and, and uh, trades, people coming with boats. Uh, he's on the outskirts of town. He's probably trading, or he's probably taxing those that are trading goods back and forth. He's hanging out in his booth, minding his own business, when the Son of God walks up to him and says, follow me. And we read that Matthew simply got up and followed him. We don't read that there is an argument. We don't read that there is an exchange. This is Matthew writing about his own encounter we read of Matthew literally just getting up and following. And so I wanted to stop there for a second and think about just this picture. If a perfect stranger came up to you and said, follow me, would you? Would you get into that van? <laughs> if you would, we'll have a counseling session immediately after this. Chances are, if we were to be pretty honest in the moment, we would not get up and follow a perfect stranger. But if someone you heard about, if someone you were curious about, if someone that you looked up to, if someone uh, who maybe you followed on Instagram offered you a chance to follow them and to learn from them, to spend time with them, to live with them, to share meals with them, to spend three years with them and travel around, would you do that? And I don't want you to think just religiously. I don't want to think about a church person asking. I'm thinking about just who's the first celebrity that comes to your mind. If they offer you the chance, free of charge, follow me, I'll teach you everything I know, would you do that? There's a couple of cooks and people off Food Network that I probably would. So the, there's that to think about. Let's also take into consideration what Matthew was losing in order to follow Jesus. He's, a tax, he's losing money, absolutely. He lost a comfortable job that he knew he had, that he knew he could support himself and a family with and everything else. He lost a solid income and everything that comes with that. He lost a comfortable life and financial security. He gave that all up. He gave up all the things that we really as humans strive for, don't we? We strive to have a comfortable living. We strive to have decent wages. We strive to have things that we just don't need to worry about because finances are okay. What did he find? He found acceptance. This is a guy who's a tax collector. I need you guys to understand that. This is a guy that nobody liked. This is a guy that was cast aside. And when he gave up everything he gave up, he found acceptance. He found joy. He found honor. He found a future. He had to let go of his worldly ambitions, but he gained so much. And though that, those four sentences or five sentences that I just spoke is a sermon all in itself. I have to move forward. Matthew's own account continues a story like this. So he's following Jesus. And then we read, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and, and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Again, let me remind you what the scum is that we're talking about. We're talking about 
robbers and murderers and other tax collectors and the lowest of the low and people and, and people that were spit on and, and hated and ignored because of their profession. Let's stop for a second right there and let's think about people in our own lives that maybe fit that description. Maybe there's people in your life, in your school, in your class, maybe in your family, hopefully not like family that are here in this room, but maybe extended family. There are people that we know that fit that description of being hated and despised and cast aside and ignored. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. We're going to explain that in a second. In this culture and in this time, it was customary to have a celebratory meal after conversion. Actually, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hit on that right now. Uh, Jackson, is it? There we go. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Words of Jesus, he's actually quoting the Old, Old Testament here. This is what that means. Jesus is saying, I want you to, I'd rather have you show mercy and show kindness and show love to those that we think don't deserve it than go to church and worship. Let's think about that for a second. Now, I'm not saying don't come to church. We, we would be in trouble if I, if I was. What I am saying is that even Jesus, the Son of God, looked at people and said, love, show mercy, show grace. I'll tell you something, guys. I, in London, we live in a, in, with all due respect, we live in a very white bread area up here, don't we? Really? Very Caucasian, very somewhat privileged. Yes, we have the reserve that there are needs there. I don't care if I said it. We have a reserve that they have the needs, and we have downtown Owen Sound that they have the needs. But really, if you look around the room, we live in a very privileged society, don't we? I went to London on the weekend. Very it's a big metropolis. We all know about London. And I'm sitting at a streetlight or a stoplight. <laughs> Who says streetlight anymore? I'm sitting at a stoplight. And on the corner, there is a guy in a suit who by all means, could have been a lawyer, banker, someone of that. He looked like that. And I'm, I'm being very honest, I was judging him based off of what he was wearing. Who knows what he did, but he looked like he was well-to-do. And right beside him was either a homeless guy or a university student. I couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> Again, I'm judging based off of appearance. But he, he didn't look as put together as the guy in the suit. And I'm looking and saying, man, that guy really needs help. The, the guy that was ragtag. And it was like, it was like a, a, not a literal slap in the face, but it was like God just slapped me and said, wake up. You don't know the difference. And it, doesn't, it shouldn't matter if you know the difference or not. We are called to love everybody. The guy in the suit that looks like he has it all together needs Jesus just as much as anybody else. And that's not my place. It's not your place. It's not our place to assume or judge or anything. In this culture and in this time, it was customary to have a meal after conversion. And Matthew had begun his new life as a follower of Jesus, and so it was time to celebrate. Why wouldn't we celebrate with people that chose to follow Jesus? We should. We should be excited about that. And so he invited his friends over for a party. He invited the outcasts that we were talking about. They were at the party. All his friends, his community, his buddies, his fellow tax collectors, and anybody else that were cast aside, they were at this party. 
think about the most hated person you can think of. Not someone that you hate, just someone that in your own world, in your own context of a baseball team or high school or grade school or community or whatever in your neighborhood. Think of the person that is hated the most, the most outcast, someone who is known as a liar or as a cheat or as a, as a thief, someone you can't, but you can't trust because they're known to betray people in order to get ahead. Think of someone who no one morally would hang out with. That person had a party. And the Pharisees and religious leaders saw Jesus eating with these people. And they thought that these people were below Jesus. They called them scum. Let's put this into our context. Maybe, maybe, this, maybe Matthew's having a party, and to the religious leaders of that time, maybe the music was too loud. Or maybe the choice of music was wrong in their judgment. Maybe they were eating the wrong thing or drinking the wrong thing. Maybe they were inhaling the wrong thing. Maybe they were telling the wrong jokes. Maybe they were simply celebrating the wrong way according to the Pharisees and religious leaders of that day. In Jesus' day, you usually ate with your, with your equals. It was much like when I was growing up in high school, uh, not only just in the cafeteria, but really school-wide, you ate depending on your social status. The jocks all ate together, the musicians all ate together, the nerds ate in the library. I mean, the computer, the geniuses ate in the library because they are geniuses now. They're making... I grew up when internet was just starting, all right? That's how old I am. Um, and I, I remember trying to hang out with these guys because it was a mad dash to the library. I'm, I'm being, I don't know why I'm saying the story right now. Anyways, it was a mad dash to our library. And we would jump onto these bulletin boards and play these games and, and, and chat back and forth and whatever. And these guys now are like running companies and, and I'm not, um, <laughs> I'm doing what I love. But the jocks would go to the gym and eat their lunch there and then do intramural sports. And the geniuses would go to the library and, and do whatever they did with the internet and that funny noise that the computer made because their modem was dial-up, yeah. Smokers would go to the corner of the, of the property. <laughs> really? <laughs> Musicians would go to the band room. The actors would go upstairs to the second floor in the air conditioning because that's where only the, it was in the school. Scientists would go. It, it, we all had our spots. Jesus isn't saying that there, um, when we read this verse, he's not saying that there were some people who were so good that they didn't need what he was offering. He's not saying that he doesn't want to help people who are good. What he is saying is this. I didn't come to invite people who are so self-satisfied that they are convinced they do not need anyone's help. Jesus is saying, I came to invite people who are very conscious of their sin and desperately aware of their need for a savior. Are we in that place? Are we conscious of our sin? Are we desperately aware of our need for a savior? Jesus is saying in this verse, it is only those who know how much they need me who can accept my invitation. So the super religious people saw Jesus eating with people that were not even trying to conform to the Jewish law. These people weren't just social outcasts, they were religious outcasts. I gotta say, this is one of my favorite stories of this series and really part, 
one of my favorite stories of the Bible because Jesus is eating with these people. Yes, it's favorite because it's, it's food and we're talking about food and everything else, but it's awesome because Jesus goes out of his way to make sinners feel comfortable near him. And that made the religious people very uncomfortable. I want to have a youth ministry that mirrors this story. I want to be involved in a, in a, in a community that helps make what we consider to be sinners comfortable. I'm not going to back down on the Bible. I'm not going to back down on, on black and white and truth and everything else. But I want to be able to look at people that we consider to be sinners, whoever and whatever they are, and help them feel comfortable here. Meals with Jesus in the Bible had a few distinctive points that set them apart. The first one, and this is where you're able to fill out your blank things finally after all this time. The first one is this. Meals with Jesus were usually spontaneous. Often Jesus' meals with people were not tied to a special feast or holy season, which involved a ton of rules and a ton of the thou shalt this and thou shalt that. Jesus just kind of showed up and you ate. And so let's bring that to our life for a moment. We are to be Jesus to the world around us. And so find ways to just show up and eat and have a conversation with somebody and get to know them and have them get to know you. And hopefully Jesus comes out in that. Number two, meals with Jesus were usually celebrating salvation. Jesus came busting into the walls of people's hearts when he was alive on earth, very much like these very old 1980 commercials that we're going to watch. Yeah, these were commercials that I grew up on. Uh, I, I think the marketing team, I don't know what they were, uh, they weren't drinking Kool-Aid when they came up with that. But the idea was that when you're thirsty, the Kool-Aid can come bursting through anything and save the day. This is kind of how I see Jesus People are spiritually dehydrated. They needed something, but often they didn't even know what. And so Jesus would soup in and bust through, uh, not to be cheesy, but like the Kool-Aid man, bust through the walls of their heart. If we can equate it to Jesus, he would, he would satisfy the thirst of their soul. We read in, in the Gospels where Jesus says that he is the everlasting water, that you'll never go thirsty again. Most of the time when we celebrate, food is involved. The joke a lot of times in churches is that we, we, we have to have meetings around food and uh, we can always find a reason to eat in church. Uh, it, was a, it was a different occasion for me to experience my first annual meeting here uh, last year when we ate together. It, it's a cool thing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not downgrading it. It's, it's, it was different, though. I, was, I wasn't used to it. But we celebrate graduations and there's a party and we eat. We celebrate baptisms there's a there's a party and we eat. We celebrate a project. I'm sure when the church build is done, we'll celebrate and have a party and eat. Rarely do we celebrate something without food. Bless you. That was... That was a teleport. Where'd you go? Jesus knows us, he created us, and because of that, he knows that there's an emotional tie with food. We, read, we just read in Matthew that someone begins following Jesus, and the natural response is a party and food. Some of the holiest meals, some of the most impactful conversations I've had about faith in God and spirituality have usually revolved around a plate of wings and a, and a pop. There's something powerful in the gathering of people with like mind and like faith 
when they celebrate and talk about the kingdom and, and God and faith, there's something powerful when there's food involved in that. Food is a natural wall breaker. How, talk to me really quickly. Small group last week, we walked around and handed out waffles. Did that help or hinder the conversation? Sorry? A little bit of both. Honesty is good. It helped? Didn't help? A little bit of distraction? You miss what? You should come more often. Number three, meals with Jesus showed people that Jesus is for everyone. Back in the day of Jesus, in that culture, in that time, there was this hierarchy. It, it only allowed Gentiles, non-Jews, to go uh, so far in the temple court. Women were allowed to go a little further. Jewish men would go the next area, and only priests could go further than that. And then after that, only the high priests could enter the Holy of Holies. In the Pharisees' eyes, everyone had their place in the pecking order of religion. Jesus came and changed everything because he is and was is for everyone. When you share a meal with someone, you are part of it is you're extending friendship to them. Now, you might be able to understand why the Pharisees freaked out when they saw Jesus eating with sinners. When Jesus what he was doing was putting actions with his words. His acceptance and grace were real and available to anyone who wanted to accept them. Philip Yancey is quoted, a famous big author person guy. He's quoted as saying this, In short, Jesus moved from God's holiness, which is very exclusive, to God's mercy, which is inclusive. Instead of the message, no undesirables allowed, he proclaimed, in God's kingdom there are no undesirables. Are you guys getting this? Are you staying with me? Are you listening? Are you paying attention? Is this sinking in a little bit? We're going to wrap this up with two thoughts. No, there's, the first thought is this. There, there are uh, three individuals in the story, and so the question is, who are you in this story? Are you the outcast? Are you the undesirable? Or maybe do you feel like you're the undesirable? Are you the Pharisee, judging and pointing out where people are sinning very quickly? Or are you following, following the example of Jesus? I'm not going to say, are you Jesus, because nobody can be that. But are you following the example? If you're the outcast, Jesus wants to show you how much he loves you. Nothing you have ever done or will do can distance you from him. He is not embarrassed by you. He doesn't care what you look like. You can wear a fancy three-piece suit on the corner on a busy street in London, or you can look like a possible university student or bum. I don't know which one he was. But he doesn't care what you look like. He loves you just the way you are. If you're wondering what it means to follow the example of Jesus, it's simply this. Find someone who our society tells us is undesirable. Find someone in your circle of influence. Find someone in your class, in your neighborhood, in your work. Find someone in your own world, however that looks. Find someone in your day-to-day -day and share a meal with them. That's as simple as it is. Buy someone. Do you guys still have ham hamburgers in the cafeteria? Buy whatever is not disgusting for somebody else and invite them to share a meal with you. It's going to take guts. It's going to take courage. Find someone in your neighborhood, in your class, in your school, in your work, and just simply be Jesus to them. I'm going to dismiss you guys. We're going to pray and break into small groups. And these small groups are a great time to talk about what you think about what we've just listened to.
A small group leader would love, I'm sure, to help you take the next step in your faith, if that's at all on your mind. But all you have to do is ask him and talk to him. All right? Uh, wherever you went last week for small groups, let's go to the same places. Uh, Jake and I are going to walk around shortly and bring more food to you guys in a little bit. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for accepting us for who we are. Thank you that when we were outcast, when we were undesirable, when we were sinners in every sense of the word, that you stopped and you accepted us for who we are. God, as we go into small groups, as we talk about what we've heard, as we learn more from each other, from our leader, from you, may you help us understand that we are loved for who we are and that we are to love others for who they are. Praise all in Jesus' name. Amen.